You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. With that, take your copy of God's Word and uh, just go ahead and go to Luke chapter 2. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, back on July the 24th, 2002, I remember seeing this on the news. Nine men were trapped uh, 200 feet below the earth's surface in a coal mine cave-in just out of Somerset, Pennsylvania. Uh, They were trapped in this uh, shaft uh, that they were digging in. There was a shaft next to them uh, that they had closed because it had filled up with water, but when that whole mine caved in, it breached the rocks, and water began to pour out of that shaft into the shaft where these nine men were. They were scrambling so that they wouldn't drown, And uh, they were able to get up into a shaft that led about 70 feet back up into the rock. And there they climbed up as high as they could climb in the back of that rock. And uh, every 10 minutes they would take a a big metal wrench and they would pound nine times on a rock. As if to get a message up to somebody that there are nine of us that are down here. Now they knew that that the uh, company and People knew that this thing had caved in, uh, but they didn't know how to communicate with them, and they couldn't communicate with them. And as they had climbed back up into this side shaft, hoping to get away from the water, the water was continuing to rise. Uh, They were there, stuck in the darkness. The only light they had was on the front of their helmets, you know, those little lights that were on the helmets. And they sat there. Until uh, their foreman looked at him and said, guys, I, I have to tell you, to be honest with you, nobody's going to rescue us. Nobody's coming to save us. And best I can figure, we may have an hour, two hours of oxygen that are left. And so with that, there was complete silence. Nobody spoke. Nobody said a word. And then this man began to cry, and this man began to cry, and this man began to cry. And then they all began to pray. And after they had prayed, one of the men said, does somebody have a pen? He had a piece of cardboard and he tore a little piece of the cardboard off and he wrote a message to his family. There was one of those five-gallon white uh, buckets that were there and he dropped it in the bucket. He handed the pen to the next man. They all wrote their families a goodbye note. They fastened the top back on it, sealed it back up, tied it to a rock so that the bucket would not float off in the water so that their family would at least hear something from them of what had happened. Another man found a flexible steel cable, and he looped it through his belt loops, and he said this to the others, if we're going to die down here, let's all die together. Let's go out as a family. Let's go out as a team. And so they all bound themselves together, and they sat back in the darkness of that cave with the water rising, the oxygen running out, And they waited to die, knowing that there was somebody up there that if they could communicate, if they could get a message up where they were and that they needed to be saved and that they wanted to be rescued, but they had no way of communicating with those that were up above. Must have been something like that. When you come to Luke chapter 2, to that very famous verse, it is one of the most famous verses that deals with Christmas And the Christmas story, and you read this, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, I don't know if you find that a little funny, but I've always wondered about that. 
how do you watch anything at night? Uh, you can't see at night. It's dark. And I've been out on those Judean hills at night. And in the nighttime in the Jude, listen, there, there are no night lights out there. There are no street lights. Uh, there are no lights from homes. Nobody's got their spotlights on uh, because there are no homes that are out there. there you, you know, there's no, you know, illumination from city lights off in the distance because there's no city off in the distance. You can't see your hand literally before your face. And here these men were sitting in this darkness which I don't think is a mistake. I think there is purposefully something being implied here that this darkness goes deeper than just the darkness of the night. It goes down to the darkness of life. And there they sat in the darkness of that place trying to watch sheep at night, trying to do the impossible, to see through the darkness knowing that they needed somebody to come and rescue them from the darkness. I listened to Brian Williams. I don't know if you listened to him this past Thursday night. For 28 years, he's been a journalist with uh, an anchor with NBC. Several years ago, he was caught up in a web of lies that he had reported, and they moved him quietly from NBC to MSNBC. Well, this past Thursday night, he signed off. I, I was rather fascinated with how he signed off. In fact, all of the newspapers were carrying the headlines that Brian Williams is signing off talking about darkness. Listen to what he said. My biggest worry is for my country, Williams said. I'm not a liberal or a conservative. I'm an institutionalist. I believe in this place. And in my love of my country, I yield to no one. But the darkness of the edge of town has spread to the roads and the highways and the neighborhoods. As Brian Williams signed off as an anchor for NBC after 28 years, the only thing he could talk about is the growing darkness in our culture, in America, in our government. In fact, the next statement, I won't read the next statement. He, it gets rather political, but he's talking about the darkness that has settled over Washington, the darkness that has settled over our entire government, the darkness that has settled over our society, our land, and literally around the world. Well, that's where these shepherds were. They were in this darkness that had settled over everything until suddenly, suddenly, they literally exploded this brightness of light, a light unlike anything they had ever seen before. And in fact, if you're still there, look at verse 9 of chapter 2 of Luke's gospel. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. Now listen, put that angel to the side. Maybe next week I'll get to that depending on how the Lord leads. But set him to the side because I want you to understand something. That angel did not bring light. He brought a message. But he did not bring the light. This is so confusing because so often we think when the angels show up, they show up in light. This is not the light of an angel. This is the light. Look, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And that is what they're, if the angel wasn't terrifying enough, it's the glory of the Lord. It's this, it was this explosion of bright light. That's shown around them. Now listen, let me explain to you because you can go from one end of scripture to the other and you're constantly seeing the glory of God. You're reading about the glory of God. If you go back to the 24th chapter of Exodus, I want you to see what this light was. 
In Exodus chapter 24, listen to verse 16 and 17. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud and to the eyes of the sons of Israel. Now listen to this. To the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like consuming fire on the mountaintop. They saw what looked like a consuming fire on the top of Mount Sinai, and the, and the Word of God tells us what it was, was the glory of God. It's the same thing that Moses asked to see. If you get over to chapter 33 of Exodus, it was the same thing that Moses asked to see. Speaking to God, Moses said, verse 18 of chapter 33, I pray you show me your glory. Now listen to what the Lord responds to that. He says in verse 19, he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, but you can't look full face into the glory of Almighty God. You can't survive it. You wouldn't be able to live through it. I'll cause my goodness to pass before you. That's what's, that's what's sh listen, that is what is shining around these uh, shepherds right here in this field. It's the same glory of God that shows up that day when Solomon dedicates the temple and the glory of the God fell down on the temple and it was so thick. The, the Old Testament says that the presence of the glory of God was so thick that the priest could not even go up to the temple to do anything, to sacrifice, to care for the temple, or anything else. That same glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Now, what I want you to see in this whole passage this morning is this, is that the glory of God does not come to dispel the darkness of night. It comes to dispel the darkness of life. And here, no better way to see it than in the life of these people called shepherds. So if you're there, Luke chapter 2, I want you to look at just two things this morning. You believe that, right? Just two things. Uh, two things I want you to look at. Number one, I want you to look at the glory of the light of God as it shines in the life of these shepherds. You read, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Do you see that? That word right there, shone round about them, that's really one word in the, in the Greek. It's uh, uh, perilampo. Uh, perilampo, the, the, it's an interesting word. Peri is a word that means around. Pirouette, it's, I do word associations. It's the only way I can remember these things. Pirouette, which is a French word, they got it from the Greeks, I guarantee you. Uh, but peri means around, to go around. You know, how a, a ballerina will do a pirouette and will spin around. This word means around. And then they put it with the word lampo, which sounds like what? What is lampo? Lamp. It's our word for lamp. Uh, it means a light around. It was like these shepherds were sitting there with these sheep, and suddenly there is this halo. Uh, but whenever we think of a halo, we think of something that is so faint, so anemic, so pale, uh, this was nothing like that. It was stark bright. It was brighter than anything they'd ever experienced before. 
you ever seen a searchlight off of a helicopter as it would shine down? I've watched that when they were looking for some of Debbie's folks sometime. And um, <clears throat> uh, you see that searchlight down there. You watch that searchlight from a police helicopter and you, and you see that. It's, it's kind of that concept, this light that comes out of the heavens that shines down. That was, that was the Shekinah glory of God. Listen to it again. It says the glory of the Lord shone round about them. There was this stark difference. Don't miss this. They're at one minute sitting in absolute darkness and the next moment they're in absolute bright light. And again, just like the glory of God, this whole concept of darkness and light is played back and forth through scripture. And you see it here. These men were in darkness. And then all of a sudden, here is this light, the light of the glory of God. Now, folks, let me tell you something about darkness. And I'm, I'm going to show you this in, in Scripture. Let me tell you something about darkness. Darkness is not just the absence of light when you read this in Scripture. Paul comes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. And he says this, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they do not see the glory of the light of the gospel of Christ who is the image of God. Now, did you get all of that? You can look at that verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He talks about the God of this world. Darkness is a realm. In other words, darkness is a kingdom and it has a ruler. That ruler of darkness is Satan himself. He lives in darkness. He blinds with darkness the minds of the unbelieving. He wants to keep man in the dark so that man never sees the light of the gospel of Christ who is the image of God. And so these men were there in this dark. Now, there are three things about that. Let me give those to you. One, there is emotional darkness in life. And you see each of these three things throughout Scripture. There is emotional darkness. Um, in fact, by the way, if you go to Isaiah chapter 9, you read about this emotional darkness. It's called gloom, G-L-O-O-M, gloom. There is a gloomy darkness and it's not just a darkness uh, around you. It's a darkness within you. This is why we do missions. This is why we're committed to missions. That is why in the month of December, we stress giving to missions through this church. And it's because there are people that don't just live in darkness. There are people within whom darkness lives. That's what this is referring to. The kingdom of darkness is a darkness not just around you. It is a darkness that is in you. He comes in Isaiah chapter 9. In fact, just look back there at Isaiah 9 and listen to what he says. But there will be no more gloom. Uh, that's an interesting word. If you, look at, if you just go to um, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, you'll find all of these kind of concepts. It's a, it's a darkness of despair. It's a darkness of depression. It's a, it's a feeling that you feel. It's something that is more real than anything else. It's, it's something that you feel. Have you got your finger there in Isaiah chapter 9? Well, look on back. Do this. Go on back. Let me show you something here. Go on back to Exodus chapter 10. 
when God is bringing these plagues on Egypt. God brings this plague. Next to the last plague is the plague of darkness. What God is doing in all of these, and I don't have time to really talk about it, is that he's challenging the gods of the Egyptians. And every one of these plagues, he challenges these gods. He comes to the greatest god of all, which was Amun-Ra, who was the sun. They pray. Listen, the way we've sung praises to Jesus this morning, they would sing praises to the sun. They would sing praises to Amun-Ra, who was the god of the sun, the greatest god of all. In fact, Pharaoh was called the son of Ra. He was supposedly the son of the sun. And uh, now God comes to Moses, and look at what he says, Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness over the land. I'm going to shut their god down. Now, you... You find all kind of explanations. Somebody said, well, this is just an eclipse. Well, if it was an eclipse, it's an eclipse. It lasted for three days uh, because it's darkness over the entire land for three days. Listen to what he said there. Stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Now watch this. Watch this. Look at this. Even a darkness which may be felt. Have you ever been in a dark moment that you could just feel the darkness? It was so oppressive, so heavy, so real that it just weighed down on you. I go back to that word gloom. One of the, one of the words to describe gloom is concrete. Uh, that meant it was real. It was something you could feel. It was something that was heavy. It was something that was oppressive. But now watch this. Now look, this isn't in the sermon notes, so this is free. I'm a, I want you, it just is fascinating to me. Watch it, what he says here about this darkness. So verse 22, Mark, uh, Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky. There was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Now that's interesting too. This isn't just darkness, this is thick darkness. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise out of his place. Wherever you were, when that darkness hit, you didn't move. You just stayed right there for three days because you could not see a thing. And, and look, look at what this says. It says, they could not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then do you know the implication of that? It's that uh, there was no light in the homes of the Egyptians. Now think about how wild this is. That in the home of an Egyptian, they would go to light a fire. They would go to light a lamp. They would go to light a candle. They would strike. I don't know if they had matches, but they would strike whatever they had. And if it struck, there was no light to the fire. Jiminy Cricket. There was no light to the fire. There was no spark of light when they playing two rocks together, but they could look out and down the road, they could see the home of a Hebrew and there was light emanating out of their house. Now tell me, that wouldn't freak you out. It was a darkness. It speaks of the darkness, the gloom that is so real in a person's life. It can be felt an emotional darkness. And maybe some of you are there. Maybe that's what some of you feel this morning. Maybe that's why you even came to church today is that you're living in such a darkness of gloom and despair and depression and brokenheartedness that you're wondering, is there any light anywhere? 
there was a moral darkness to this. The moral darkness was this. Let me, let me take you to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Listen to what John writes there. He talks about light, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And he, he has something interesting to say about it. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. These shepherds were there in a moral darkness. And you say, well, now how do you know that, Pastor? Well, because that's what the rabbis said about the shepherds. If you go back to the Mishnah, any of y'all been reading that this week? Um, you go back to the Mishnah, and in the Mishnah, which happens to be rabbinical comments on the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, on the Talmud. And in the Mishnah, the rabbis say uh, that shepherds are thieves and liars. A, a, a shepherd could not give or bear witness in a court of law. Nobody believed him. In fact, that would have been a joke. If you were going into a court and you said, I'm going to bring in a couple of shepherds to testify on my behalf, people would have rolled in the floor. It, nobody trusted them. You talk about bias. You talk about prejudice. The rabbis had always said that these shepherds were untrustworthy. You could not depend on them. Uh, they did nothing but lie. They did nothing but steal. They were thieves. And uh, it did not have anything to do with what they did. It had to do with who they are. And because they were shepherds, they were perceived to be people who lived in absolute immorality. There was a moral darkness that was put down on these people. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's what you sense, is that there is a moral issue in my life, and it is a darkness over my life, and I just wish that there was someone up there who could shine some light on the moral darkness and deliver me from it. But there was a spiritual darkness to all of this. All of this, everything that I've said here is this whole concept of just spiritual darkness, living in the spiritual dark, wondering, is there anyone up there that cares for me, that loves me, that's interested in me? Listen to what John talks about. In fact, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 9. When he comes to heal the man that was born blind, you remember that story? Man was born blind. The disciples come up and say, okay, now who sinned this guy? Did he sin before he was born? Did his parents sin before he was born? You know, why is he blind? Because of some sin. And so Jesus, of course, answers that and responds to them and heals the guy. And the guy receives sight. And the Pharisees go nuts. Uh, they go nuts. And, and they try to disprove, no, this isn't the guy. And, and they can't disprove that this is the guy's parents show up. Yeah, that's him. He was born blind from death. And so, listen, listen, you come to the end of John chapter 9. Look at verse 39. And Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. And those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said, <laughs> they're asking, you know, incredulously, they're looking at Jesus. We're not blind too, are we? Are you saying that we're blind? And Jesus said, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. He didn't say it like that. He said this. If you were blind, you would have no sin. In other words, if you had been blind like this guy, you would be wanting light. <laughs> you would be wanting salvation. This guy, listen, this is what he's saying. This guy was blind, and he knew he was blind, and he knew he needed light, and he had no concept of what light was. 
He'd never seen. How do you explain light to somebody who's never seen light? How do you explain that to somebody who's always been blind? And here he is, and he says, listen, Jesus says, look, if you'd have been like this guy, if you'd have been impaired like this guy, blind like this guy, who knew he was blind and longed for something to deliver him? But the fact of the matter is, you think you have light. And the fact of the matter is, you think you have light, but you're really blind. Let me explain it like this. Let me, let me do it like this. Did y'all have a storm at your house yesterday? Uh, did your lights go out? Some, people, some people's lights went out. And, uh, you know, you, you leave church today and you say, okay, man, we had a bad storm yesterday. We're not going to do We're not going to get caught like that again. I'm going to get a flashlight. And so you start by the hardware store and you go get what? You get a what? A flashlight. That's right. A flashlight. You get a flashlight. There's a flash of light. And what happens? The darkness is dispelled. It goes away. It scatters immediately. It goes out. Now, listen, let me tell you what you won't get at the hardware store. You ever tried to buy a flash of dark? Because darkness doesn't do that. There's nothing that you can cut on in the midst of light, and it all of a sudden sends light into darkness. But you can get in the midst of darkness and turn on a flash of light that dispels the darkness. Now, listen, y'all just sit there, okay? That is so, when you realize it, you'll shout. Don't, you know, this afternoon you'll shout about that because let me tell you, that's what shines around these shepherds. And I want to show you something in all of this that, that I really had not thought about until I walked in here for the first service. Put your finger right there in John, uh, in, uh, in Luke chapter 2. Go with me back to Genesis chapter 1 and watch this. Um, just look, this is, I'm adding this too, so this is not going to cost anybody anything right here. But look at this. You get to, John, uh, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and you read these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering, moving. Literally, the word in Hebrew means vibrating. He's moving. He's vibrating over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, what light is that? You say, well, there's the sun. No, it's not. That doesn't happen until you get over here to the fourth day. Verse 14, Then God said, let there uh, be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs for seasons and for days and years. Let them be for the lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And so it was, and God made the two lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. And he made the stars also, and he placed them in the heavens. Listen, what's happening here in chapter 1 down in verse 3? The glory of God burnt. It explodes on the scene. In the darkness of space, when you look up in the night sky, everything was stark, brilliant glory of God in the beginning. And you said, well, where did all that go? He brought that all back in. Wow. What incredible power for God. Listen, it's one thing to explode with light. It's another thing to pull all that light back in. That's the light that's shown around these shepherds. Now look, that's the light you're going to live in for eternity. Go to Revelation 21. 
Because in Revelation 21, you see this very thing. It's the glory of God. Revelation 21, verse 23, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God, look, the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In Look at verse 25. In the daytime, for there will be no night there. The glory of God will just shine and shine and shine and shine for all of eternity as long as eternity lasts. And it will last. You know how long eternity lasts? For eternity. And we will dwell eternally in the light of God, the glory of God, and the light of the Lamb. That's the light, now listen, that's shown not just around these guys. It's the light, I'm convinced, that's shown in these guys. Now let me show you that. Back to Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to move on to the second thing because y'all look like you're restless. Let me, let me show you this first. Listen to what happens. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. Verse 10, for I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today, here, here comes the location. For today in the city of David. Now there is the location. There has been born for you. That's the invitation. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the identification. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That's the designation. When you get there, this is how you'll know who this is. And suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away, now watch this, from them into heaven the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go. Let us go. Straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. That's the acquisition. That's the reception right there. They have received the good news of who had been born and they are going there to see with their own eyes what God has done. Now, that's the light that's shown in them. Now watch this because right here, it is the light of the glory of God that begins to shine through them. And this is exactly why we are saved, folks. Not to shut the light up in ourselves. So watch it, what he says here. So they came, verse 16, in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, look, when they had seen this, they made known the statement that had been told them about this child. Now, what was the statement that had been told them about this, about this child? What were they telling? What was the statement that they made known to everybody? For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They didn't walk out of there and said, oh, man, there's great food down at the church or there's great fellowship down at the church or there's great excitement and games and fun down at the church. They went out of there not talking about the manger. They went out of there talking about Christ. Christ. 
A Savior's been born. You've been waiting for a Savior. You've been looking for a Savior. A Savior has been born. He is Christos, the anointed. He is the anointed, the Adonai. That's the word there. That's the noun for Lord there, master. They went out. These are people that could not testify in a court of law. Is it not funny to you how Jesus, who Jesus turns to for all this kind of stuff? He does this to people who could not testify in a court of law. Do you know that's what happens when Jesus appears in the resurrection to Mary? Mary, because she was a woman, could not testify in a court of law. <laughs> and Jesus shows up to all these people who could never go testify in a court of law. And he tells them, go testify of me. Go tell. And these shepherds go out of there. And what do they go out of there doing? They go out of there praising the Lord. All who heard it wondered. They began to listen to these people. They never heard out of shepherds because they never asked them anything. And so they began to wonder about what had been told them by the shepherds. Mary treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went out of there loud, praising, singing, glorifying God for all that had been heard and seen, just as had been told them. There is the reception of it in their lives. And as they received it in their lives, the glory of God, they went out of their sharing. Now, listen to me. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to wrap this up. When's the last time the glory of God appeared in Jerusalem? Take your Bibles and go with me back to Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel sees the glory of God in the temple. He is off in Babylonian captivity. But he sees into the temple. He has a vision. The Lord gives him a vision. Then the glory of the Lord. I'm in Ezekiel 10 verse 4. And the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the temple. And the temple was filled with the cloud. And the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. There in the temple, the brightness of the glory of God was there. But seraphim are there. Seraphim come and they have what is best to be described as a traveling throne. That's why you have these wheels. They've got a throne that's going to move. And the glory of God gets on the throne that's above the head of the seraphim, of the cherubim. Look at verse 18, chapter 10 of Ezekiel. And the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. Now listen to what had happened. He had been there in the court, in the center of the temple itself, the brightness of the glory of God. And it moves from the center of the temple to the threshold of the temple. It's almost as if God gets up out of the temple, off of that mercy seat, and he walks down to the threshold, that great massive single door that led into the holy place that eventually would lead you to the Holy of Holies. And he stands at the threshold of the great door of the temple of Solomon there, and he looks back in it. And then he gets up and he moves out from there. Verse 19, and the cherubim departed. They lifted up their wings, rose up from the earth in my sight, and the wheels beside them, and they stood at the entrance of the east gate. Now it moves from the threshold in the center of the city out to the eastern gate. If you've ever been to Israel with me, man, I have talked to you about that eastern gate. And there is the glory of God standing over the eastern gate. Now look on down in chapter 11 of Ezekiel and look at this 
in verse 23. And then the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is east of the city. That is, if you went out of the eastern gate, you walked across the Kidron Valley, and you walked up the Mount of Olives, and you got up to the top of what we called Olivet, the mountain there. God had left the center of the temple and moved himself incrementally. It's awful almost to say, this hurts me to do this, but I'm leaving, and he takes his glory away. You know how long that was until this night when the glory of God shone round about the, the, the shepherds? 600 years. 600 years. Well, now here's the question. Why these shepherds? Why not back up there in Jerusalem to the priesthood? Why not up there to the, to the uh, chief priest? Why not back up there to the temple? Why, not, why, why did the glory of God settle around these people who had, listen, who were emotionally distraught and in darkness, who were morally in darkness, who were spiritually in darkness? Why did he appear to them? And not back up there in Jerusalem. Because they were watching sheep that would go up to the temple. Do you know all the sheep in Bethlehem belonged to the priests? Those were the priest's sheep. And all those sheep that these shepherds would watch would be taken up to the temple through the sheep gate and would be slaughtered as sacrifice. And these shepherds sat there watching these sheep, knowing that these sheep would be taken and sacrificed for somebody, but never for them. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came for those people. Those who realize that they are in darkness and they know that somebody is up there somewhere. Those nine men at Q Creek coal mine sitting in the darkness waiting to die unexpectedly heard a voice. Someone called out and said, can you hear me? And it was not AT&T. Somebody called out and said, can you hear me? No man said a word because they all, in that thin oxygen thought, were beginning to hallucinate. And then the voice came again a little louder and it said, can you hear me? And they all cried out, yes, we can hear you. And that began the deliverance of the nine men who were trapped for three days, 77 hours at Q Creek Coal Mine Cave-In. They responded to the voice they heard. How about you? Let's stand and pray about it. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.